listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Uh, today we'll be reading from John 1, 6 to 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, to, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, good morning. It's good to gather with you on this Sunday. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here. And as Eric mentioned at the beginning, today is our seventh anniversary as a church. Uh, yeah, by God's grace, I was thinking about it. We've gathered together roughly 360 times over the last seven years, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and calling one another to know him and follow him and share that message with one another and the greater Fairfax area and to the ends of the earth. So whether you've been here that whole seven years or this is your first time gathering with us, I'm grateful that you are here today and that we get to open up God's word together this morning. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Give thanks for what he has done and pray that he would be at work this morning in our time. So would you pray with me? God, we praise you this morning and we come before you and we give thanks. We give thanks that you, in your grace, in your kindness, have caused this church to come to be and to continue to exist. And God, that's not something that we could do on our own. We've made plenty of mistakes to make that not the case. But God, you've sustained us and God, you have grounded us and allowed us to continue to root ourselves in Christ, to anchor ourselves in Christ. And so God, we give you thanks for that, that even as we reflect on that, whether it's the first time we've gathered together with this community, this group of people, or we've been gathering for many of those 360 plus Sundays, God, I pray that you would help us to reflect and in that rejoice that you are faithful and that you have been so gracious and kind to us, merciful to us. And God, you have worked in our midst. You've called men and women to life, pulling them out of death and darkness into light and life, as we're even going to look at this morning. And God, you've transformed us from one degree of glory to another. And thinking about how you've worked in different people's lives, seeing transformation happen, sometimes in that very small incremental way, but moving people more and more to be more and more like Jesus. And God, that's not something that we've been able to do on our own. You've caused that to happen. So we rejoice in that this morning. And God, I pray that we would continue to be faithful to what you've called us to. And then even as we open your word now, something we've done many, many Sundays before, that Christ would be made much of this morning that we would elevate Jesus and that we would not focus on who we are as a church or who's speaking or who's singing or people we know or people we hope to know. God, I pray that as we walk out of here every week as a church, that what would be left on our hearts and minds would be that we serve a great God who has lavished grace upon us. So elevate our view of Jesus this morning. 
God, I pray that no matter where someone finds themselves, if they're questioning who you are and if you even exist to walking faithfully with you, God, I pray that every single person in this room, that by the work of your spirit, God, that you would allow us to set aside distractions, focus on you this morning, make us attentive to what you want to communicate to us today. We pray that you would do that work for our good. God, we need you to speak to us. We thank you that you give us your word. So we pray that you bless this time now. Bless our church as we continue to step forward in faith. And may you be glorified in all that we do. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the really fun games that my kids sometimes like to play with one another and with me is ignoring the other person. This is how it works. Someone tries to get your attention or speaks to you and you just act like they're not there. And you don't listen to them and you don't pay attention to them at all. It's a whole lot of fun. It's actually really maddening, and we're trying to root it out of our family in the list of fun things that we do together. But you know, even as adults, we can do this also. We just become a little bit more crafty in the way that we ignore one another. We ghost each other on text or email. Someone calls, we screen our phone calls, and we sometimes don't return those phone calls. Or sometimes we just avoid people altogether, giving people the silent treatment, maybe to a spouse or a roommate or a coworker. Not much changes from when we're kids to when we're adults. We just become a little more shrewd in what we're doing. But you know what? Sometimes, no matter how hard we try to ignore someone or to not pay attention to them, there are moments or times or situations where we have to engage. And we can't continue just to ignore someone over and over again. Well, as we come to our text today, we see this is very much the case with Jesus. Last week, as Eric mentioned, we started a new sermon series walking through a book of the Bible called the Gospel of John, and we're titling this sermon series Seeing Jesus, because what John, the author of this book, seeks to do is to show us Jesus, who he really is, to lay aside misconceptions or ideas about who we think Jesus is, but to really show us who Jesus is, and that in seeing Jesus for who he really is, that we would come to truly know him and follow him and have life in him. And the most significant question that anyone can ask or answer is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? It's the most significant question you can ask and answer because how you answer that question will not only impact your life right now, but for all of eternity. And maybe you already have an answer. Maybe you don't. But my hope for all of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus already or you're just checking out who Jesus is or you're very skeptical about the existence of Christ altogether, my hope is that by walking through this story that John lays out for us is that God would use this time in his word to give us a more clear view of Jesus, a more right view of Jesus, a more elevated view of Jesus, and that by doing that, that all of us would experience a deeper joy and greater experience of life in him. And what we'll begin to learn today about Jesus is that Jesus can be rejected, Jesus can be received, but Jesus can't be ignored. He can't be ignored. And so my goal for today is by looking at this text that we would evaluate how each of us in our own individual lives have responded to who Christ is. And we would think about that and that by God, by walking through God's word in his grace, that he would lead all of us to become worshipers of God and witnesses for him. 
So no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, again, if you're just checking out who Jesus is or maybe you've been walking with him for a long time, my hope is is that God would use this time in your life in whatever way he wants to do it simply because you're here this morning. That God in his providence saw fit for you to be here on this particular Sunday in September in Fairfax to hear his word preached and proclaimed today. So with that, let's dive into John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13, and may we see Jesus more clearly today. Last week, we looked at the first five verses of John and the beginning of this kind of introduction of this story that the Apostle John is telling, and we learned some pretty extraordinary things about who Jesus is, that he is the eternal word, that he is God, that he's creator, and that he is the overcomer. And all of these are amazing realities. We could spend so much time stopping and just trying to think on these things and and reflect on them, just the, the weight of what it means that Jesus is any one of these things. But these are all themes that John's going to continue to expound on as we walk through this gospel story. So we'll get to learn more about them. See, part of the purpose of this introduction, and the introduction of the gospel of John is verses 1 through 18. Part of the purpose of the introduction is what the purpose of most introductions is, which is to to start to set up and share what the author is going to be talking about, what his focus is going to be on. And so when we come to our text today, we see an additional theme that he'll tease out more throughout this story, and it takes place in three movements within our text this morning. So if you're taking notes, these are our three movements that we're going to walk through this morning. One is Jesus is revealed. The second is Jesus is rejected, and the third is that Jesus is received. So we see the first one. Jesus is revealed in verses 6 through 9. Look at verses 6 through 9 again. The Apostle John writes this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, at first glance, this might seem a little bit odd for John, the apostle, the author of this gospel, to introduce a man by the name of John the Baptist. It seems kind of, at first glance, kind of seems random here. Like, why does he start talking about this? He's just been talking about how great Jesus is and who he is, and then he kind of interjects this idea of John the Baptist in here. Well, I think there's two reasons for this. First, it's a matter of this, again, being part of the introduction. John's saying, I'm going to talk about several things here, and one person that you need to know about is John the Baptist. And in fact, later on in chapter one, he addresses more about who John the Baptist is. So we'll hit that in a few weeks. But the reason he's introducing him here is to make it abundantly clear that though John had a loud voice amongst God's people, he wasn't the light. He came to reveal the light. It says that he was sent by God to reveal the real, true light of the world. Why does he come to do that? The second half of verse 7 tells us that all might believe through him. That as John tells people about who Jesus is, as he calls people to focus on Christ, that his hope and desire is is that through his testimony that people would come to believe in and follow Jesus. And so these first five verses, we learn some amazing things about who Jesus is and what he came to do, to bring life and light into a world that's filled with death and darkness. But here, in these next few verses, we learn that God used John the Baptist to announce, to reveal that to the world, that Jesus was coming. 
And John the Baptist is called a witness. And what do witnesses do in court cases? That they're called upon to testify about the facts of something. If you've ever been subpoenaed or called into court to be a witness, they want you to stand up and tell the truth about what's taken place in a particular situation. And that's exactly what John's doing here. John the Baptist is sharing a testimony. He's testifying. He's being a witness to the people around him that they would hear about who Jesus is and come to believe in him for salvation for their souls. But even in this, we learn something interesting about God's upside-down way of doing things. We learn something interesting about Jesus' humility. I mean, if you think about it, God could have used a million ways to reveal Jesus to the world. Jesus himself, the Son of God that's existed for all time and eternity, who is God himself, could have demanded that there was a, a big deal made about him coming into the world. Introduce him in a way where there's lots of flash and fury, sounds and sirens announcing his arrival. Like, let's let everybody know in a huge way. Right? Have you guys seen Aladdin, the new one or the old one? When Prince Ali kind of gets his thing together, what happens? They roll into town in this massive parade, right? Everybody needs to know that he's there. This is the God of all the universe. He doesn't do anything like that. He could have used a million different ways, yet he uses John to announce him. God sent a man, a, a strange man at that. He sent a strange man, the cousin of Jesus, to come and reveal Jesus to the world. I mean, this is Jesus' first introduction to the world. But not just the idea of Jesus, but the reality that Jesus was coming into the world. This eternal word, who is God, who created all things, who is the overcomer, was coming into the world. It's what John declares in, verses nine, in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. And he even here, right in this verse, John is beginning to communicate something essential and absolutely mind-blowing to us, that this God would come to us, that he wouldn't just remain elevated and high and lifted up, but he would actually come to us. We're going to learn more about that next week. But here what we learn is that the true light, the real, lasting, genuine light, the one who will shine forever never to be extinguished, never to be pushed back by darkness, but always pushing darkness back. The one who would awaken the hearts and souls of the spiritually dead world, he gives light. What does John say to every person as he comes into the world? What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that every person will be illuminated with spiritual life. We, we know from personal experience that not every single person in this world right now or that it's existed in time, has trusted in Christ or believed in Jesus. So what is he talking about here? How is he communicating, or what is he trying to communicate when he says every person? What John's trying to tell us is that he is the only source of light in life for anyone. There is no other light for those who dwell, who dwell in darkness except Jesus. And it means that, and this is really important for us to understand, and this is part of the reason John's relating this to us here, and he'll bring this up again later in chapter 3, is that he's not just a light for the people of Israel, for, for the Jewish people who've longed for a Messiah to come. No, he's a light to people from every tribe and every language and every nation, people of every ethnicity and skin color, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, that he is the light for every single kind 
of person. Jesus is revealed here, the Apostle John says through John the Baptist, he's revealed, but as we'll see, our responses are not all the same to this revelation. This leads to our next section, Jesus is rejected. We see this in verses 10 and 11. John writes, he, meaning Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Again, John reminds us of something important here, that this idea of a true light is not some ethereal thing. It's not like the force. No, this is a person. The true light is a person. And he was in the world, the very world he made. But the world is not welcoming to him. John says, yet the world did not know him. It doesn't even recognize him. I don't know what your experience is when you meet people, but I've had this experience in my life where uh, I've met someone and then I have to meet him like five more times because I just, I guess I don't have a memorable face. And so sometimes I, oh yeah, we met at this particular thing. And I'm sure I've probably done the same thing to other people as well. Sometimes we just don't recognize one another. This isn't at the level of like, I forgot your name. I don't recognize you. Like this is like, I don't have any idea of who you are. Like they're seeing Jesus come into the world and they're saying, you don't look like who I think you're supposed to be. This wasn't the expectation of the people of Israel. I mean, for a world that's longing for light to break in, how could they not recognize him when he comes? I think there are a few reasons. First, again, it's because of how Jesus came. John doesn't give a birth narrative like the other gospel accounts do, do, but he's alluding to it here. We know the story of how Jesus came into the world. He came in humility. It was a humble entrance. He didn't come with pomp and circumstance. He wasn't born in a massive uh, castle or something like that where there's all kinds of people around. I mean, when, when Prince William and Kate were about to have babies, I mean, people were going nuts over that. Like waiting outside, couldn't wait till they came out to show the world their baby. This didn't happen with the King of Kings. The only people that knew Jesus came into the world were his mom, his dad, probably the person who let them stay in the stable, and some smelly, dirty shepherds who were out in a field who the angels came to. That's it. So he comes in in a humble way. It's an upside-down way of God, the way that God does things as his kingdom comes into be. It's not how Israel expected the Messiah to come. It's not how they hoped he would show up. They wanted someone to ride in and take over. The second reason they don't recognize him is just because of the effect of sin in our world. See, we need to understand something about the world. The world we live in, even now, it's not neutral to the things of God. It's not a neutral place to live. The world Jesus came into is a world that is set against God. It's rebelled against him. It's teeming with rebellion. And that's what sin does. It affects us from head to toe, inside and out. We are completely and utterly affected by it. It doesn't mean that you're the worst you could possibly be, but it means that everything that you do, think, say, is tainted by your rebellion and your sin. It affects every single person when you're born into this world, and it leads all of us to reject Christ, to reject redemption. I mean, even the people of Israel Jesus' own people group, a people who had read God's word and longed for a Savior to come, longed for a Redeemer to come, longed for a Messiah to come, a Rescuer to come and restore them. They didn't recognize him. They rejected him. 
See, rejection is different than ignoring because rejection is saying no. It's refusing someone. It's refusing what's being offered to you by them. And rejection can come in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's overt and, and outright. We say, no, I don't want this, or no, I don't want to have this, or no thank you maybe, but we, we use our words, we use our actions to overtly reject. Sometimes we're even hostile in our rejection. We can be physical in our rejection. But I think a lot of times our rejection looks like indifference and apathy. We just say we don't care. And what's the result of rejecting Jesus? We learn in other places in the Gospel of John and Scripture that the result of rejecting Jesus is an eternal separation from God and his people. That the result of rejecting Jesus is bearing the full weight of God's righteous wrath for all eternity, for turning away from our God and Redeemer and seeking to go our own way. Jesus has come, and he's come to offer life in a place of death. He's come to offer light in a place of darkness. He's come to rescue and redeem from the consequences of our rebellion and our sin, and he did so by going to a cross and being nailed to this cross and taking on the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve and then rising again from the grave. So listen to me, to reject Jesus, to reject Jesus is to reject the only way to be forgiven of your sin. To reject Jesus is to reject the only way to be reconciled to God. To reject Jesus is to reject the only way to be made new in him. But the end of the story is not the tragedy of rejection, but the grace of acceptance and receiving. And we see this in our last section, Jesus is received. This is in verses 12 and 13. John writes here, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Some do receive him. They, they say, he says they believed in his name. Now that may sound weird to us, right? Believing in his name. What is John trying to say there? We don't maybe quite understand that phrase because we don't put as much stock in names as the Eastern culture of Jesus' time did. See, the name of a person in ancient times, it encapsulated the whole person. What somebody was named, that, that, that refers to who they are as a whole person. So that means that Jesus' name refers to all of who he is, what everything that's true about him, the totality of who he is and what he had come to do. In the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that Jesus' name means to, that he's going to be the Savior of the world. He's going to save his people from their sin. Receiving and believing, then, are two ways to look at the same thing. And it isn't some intellectual assent. It isn't reading words on a page or hearing a sermon preached and saying, okay, I, I theoretically or in my mind at least understand who Jesus is. Now, this idea of receiving and believing at the core of it is when someone ceases to rely on themselves and ceases to rely on your own merits and instead trust in Christ and his. When you receive and believe, you're laying down the, the lordship of your life. You're stepping off the throne of saying that I'm in charge, that I want to be God, and you lay that down and instead trust in Christ to be the only king and the only Lord. 
To receive Jesus and believe in his name means that a person sees Jesus for who he truly is. The Son of God and the Savior of the world who willingly went to a cross for you. And in seeing Jesus, trusting in him in order to be saved from the consequences of your sin, in order to actually be reconciled to God, knowing that apart from him you stand condemned in your rebellion. So if rejecting is closing yourself off to someone or something, receiving is the opposite of that. It's opening yourself up. It's opening yourself up and being willing to say yes and accepting what they're proposing to you, accepting what they're offering to you. And Jesus has come to offer you life now and forever. And what's the result of receiving? John tells us in the rest of Verse 12, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The result of receiving is to become a child of God. This is important for us to understand as well. Believing precedes becoming. Believing precedes becoming. And when you trust in Christ, receiving and believing, you become something that you weren't. I mean, you're status changes, your position changes, God becomes your father. He adopts you into his family, and you have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters from every tribe, language, and nation brought together to be the family of God. He brings you into this way, and just when a new baby comes into the world, what, what happens when a new baby's born from, to a friend or a family member? Then we celebrate we get excited, we get amped up, we throw parties, we write cards, we give gifts. We're so excited that new life has come. And you know what we learn in Luke chapter 15? Is that when someone crosses from death to life, the heavens rejoice. The angels throw a party. They're so excited that new life has come. That someone who once was dead in their sin has crossed from death to life. That has been born anew in Christ. You become a part of the family of God. You become a child of God. And just as a child and a family has the ability to receive the blessings of being a part of that family, to receive the inheritance of their parents, the same is true for us as children of God. We are given everything in Christ. Everything. That doesn't mean that God's going to hook you up with more material wealth. He's going to make you healthy and happy and have no problems in your life. It means he's going to give you the riches of heaven, everlasting joy and life in him, that everything that's Jesus's belongs to you, never to be abandoned, never to be forgotten, never to be forsaken. That's amazing news. It's important for us to ask, though, how does all this take place? That all sounds good, but, but how does it actually happen? How does this come about in our life? How do we become children of God? Well, John thankfully tells us that as well. He says that those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. Right is a strong word, especially in our culture today. And we're all about our rights. But I think a lot of times when we use that word, when we say we have rights, it's that we demand something. We deserve something. But the sense of the word here that John's using when he's talking about a right is that something is certain, that it's guaranteed. It's given never to be lost or taken away. And he gives this right to become something that you weren't before. Not because of what? He tells us here. 
not because of your ethnicity. I mean, this would have been mind-blowing, shocking for his Jewish audience that thought that because of who they were, because of their ethnicity, that they were closer to God and had some inside track to him. For him to say this right here would have been mind-blowing for them. And the reality is it's still mind-blowing for people today to think that your ethnicity gives you more rights than somebody else. That's not from God. He tells us it's not because of your ethnicity that you have a relationship with God. It's not because of your family that you become a child of God. That because your parents are followers of Jesus or your grandparents are followers of Jesus, that inherently makes you a follower of Jesus. It's a gift from you to have that if that's the story of your life, but it doesn't make you saved. It doesn't bring you into the family of God. He says it's not because you or anyone else on their own decided to make it happen. I mean, that's crazy to think about. He's not saying like that you figured it out, and that's how this took place in your life. No, listen, if you are a child of God, you became a child of God because of God. Because God had mercy on you. Because God willed it to make it happen. In his grace, he overcame your obstinance. In his grace, he overcame the effects of your sin in your life, and he gave you the gift of faith that you might actually see Jesus for who he is. The light of Christ is shining, and by the grace of God, we are given new eyes to see and ears to hear, to trust in Jesus alone. And so if you have already trusted in Christ, it isn't because you're smart. It isn't because you're wise. It isn't because you figured it out. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, not many of you were noble, not many of you were wise. He basically says, you're kind of, you're kind of low class, like not the brightest, not the sharpest tool in the shed. But God saved you. He saved you, saved you in spite of your ability to figure these things out. It was because God had ridiculous grace and mercy on you. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, but you want to, Maybe God's working in your heart and your life right now to say, man, I want Jesus. I understand my need for Jesus. If that's happening in your mind and your heart right now, it's also not because you figured it out on your own, but because God is giving you grace and mercy even right now in this moment. Disarming your disobedience and enabling you to receive this out-of-this-world gift of grace that brings about redemption and reconciliation in and through Christ and Him alone. Sojourn, we have to see that this text is about Jesus, not about you. I'm sure we're in view here, as is the rest of humanity, but this text, the focus of it is not us. Jesus is always the focus. And what we learn here is that Jesus can be rejected. Jesus can be received, but he can't be ignored. So where do you find yourself this morning? Are you hostile towards Jesus? And the message he proclaims, maybe for you it's difficult to accept the fact that you actually need rescuing, that you actually need redemption. Or maybe for some of you, you're just apathetic or indifferent to spiritual things and to who Jesus is. Maybe thinking, yeah, Jesus is good for some people, but he's not for me. Are you rejecting, if you're rejecting Jesus, are you rejecting the real Jesus? Or some misconception of Jesus. Or maybe, maybe this is just hard to believe. 
No matter where you find yourself, I'm, I'm thankful that you're here. And what I want to do is just ask you to continue to journey with us. I'd love for you to be here week in and week out. I'd love for you to get into a community group and ask questions in community. Say, I, I want to believe, but I'm having a hard time believing. Or I actually really am opposed to this. And there's a whole group of people here that would love to journey with you in that. I want to invite you to that. It's one of the reasons we exist as a church, that together we want to see Jesus rightly. And maybe, like I said, some of you are ready to receive Jesus today, that you've heard the good news of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done, that he is the only way for you to be reconciled to God. And you want to begin that relationship with Jesus, you can do that where you're sitting right now. There's no magic words to say. All you have to do is let God know that. To turn away from your sin and place your faith in Christ. So tell God that and then tell somebody around you that. So we can help you know what it looks like to follow Christ. But I think there may be a few others of you in the room that you, you've thought you've known Jesus. But the reality is you've only, only known about him. And Jesus has become more of an idea to you with a list of propositions to believe. But in that, you've missed the person of Christ. You've missed who Jesus really is. So are you a child of God or are you just pretending to be a child of God? And it's okay if right now you're recognizing that you've just been pretending. It's okay. We want this to be a church where you can genuinely know Christ. We want this to be a church where we regularly lift up Christ and we seek to set our gaze together on him. And maybe right now you feel, if that's where you're at, you're like, I, I don't know if I've really known Christ. Maybe I've just known about him. And you feel embarrassed because maybe you've been saying you're a follower of Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been baptized Maybe you're serving in the church right now. Maybe you're even in a leadership position in the church. And you're like, I don't know. I feel like I've been pretending. It's okay. There's grace for you in that. And God has you here right now. And so I want to encourage you, if that's where you're at, but you want to start to know Christ, to actually know him, that again, you would tell God that. And man, I'd love to talk to you about that. Any of our pastors would love to talk to you about that. Your community group leaders would love to talk to you about that. This community of covenant believers, brothers and sisters in Christ would love to help you on. This is a place of grace where we will say, brother, sister, now you're a brother or sister. And just like Luke 15, and the heavens rejoice, I rejoice with you now. Don't be embarrassed if you feel like you've been pretending. Place your faith in Jesus for real now. And continue to journey with us through the gospel of John. Maybe some of you are just struggling to find, and you find yourself kind of somewhere in between rejection and receiving. That you've had faith in the past, but right now you just aren't sure. It's okay to have doubts when it comes to faith. I have doubts. And at times when I read God's word or think about who God is, thinking this is hard to believe. God, do I really actually believe this to be true? And so if you have doubts, it's okay to have those doubts. It's okay to struggle to believe. I just ask you not to do it alone. Don't do it alone. Press in together. Strive to see Jesus for who he truly is. And I pray that the Spirit of God would help you to see him for who he is and ground you all the more in Christ your King. And maybe for a lot of you this morning, you, by God's unfathomable grace, he's allowed you to see Jesus. And instead of rejecting Jesus, you've received Jesus. And, and you know who he is. You've believed in his name. You've become a child of God. Can I encourage you to do something this week? 
I want you to think about how that took place in your life. I want you to take time to reflect on how you became a follower of Jesus. I mean, who told you about him? Was it a friend or a family member? A random person that you interacted with on the street? Maybe you heard a line in a song or a sermon? I know for me, it was a combination of things. My parents were faithful to, to bring me to gather with the church every week. And so they told me about Jesus, but you know what? So did the whole church that I grew up in. So side note here, if you serve and sojourn kids, God is using you in a unique way to be a, a witness to the children that are a part of our church. I hope and we pray that parents are the, the primary people that are going to disciple their kids towards Christ, but you play a part of that too. That somebody's story, God willing, will be that when they're 38 years old, thinking about how they came to know Christ, they'll say, man, there was a guy in my kid's class. I don't remember his name. Man, he always told me about Jesus. There was a woman that served in our kids' ministry, and she always was telling us about Jesus. That was a part of my story of grace. Who was it for you? Who told you about Christ first? When did God give you ears to hear his offer of redemption and salvation and to see the glorious Savior for who he truly is? Who, like John, witnessed to you? to testify to the riches of God's grace available to you. And maybe you don't know the exact time or place when you actually cross from death to life. That's okay. What matters is that you know that you've crossed from death to life and that you have present faith today. But as you reflect on that, as you think on that, what I hope it does in you is create humility. You didn't figure it out. Someone had to come to you and tell you about Jesus. That it would humble you that God sent someone to you. And may that lead you to thanksgiving. May it lead you to worship even now that God poured out his amazing grace on you so that you wouldn't continue to reject Jesus. Maybe it took you hearing the gospel one time or a million times, but if you believe today, that is God's grace to you. Praise him for that. But don't let your reflection stop at worship. Let it lead you to be a witness like John the Baptist as well. Let your worship overflow to be a witness, to testify to the fact that Jesus is the light and that he has shown in your heart and transformed your life and he can do the same in someone else's life. Listen, if you're fearful about telling somebody else about Jesus, if you're fearful of rejection, that if, man, I just don't know, if I tell my classmate or the, the guy or the girl who has a locker next to me, or the person that's in my suite, or my coworker, or my neighbor, or a family member. If I'm, I'm just, I'm afraid that if I share Jesus with them, they're going to reject me. You know what? You're in good company, because Jesus was rejected, he is being rejected, and he will be rejected. He knows what it's like to face rejection, and he walks with you in that, and he still calls you to go. And he says, I'll be with you to the ends of the earth the end of time. So I want to encourage us to go and to tell people about Jesus. And remember this, no one can dis discount your story of grace. They can reject your Savior, but they can't reject what he's done in your life. And there's no inconsequential story of grace. Listen, I believe that God wants to save people from their sin. God wants to save people from every tribe, every language, and every nation. God wants to save people in Fairfax. 
God wants to save people in this room. And so sojourn, we have to see that God is inviting us to be a part of what he's already doing. He's inviting us into this. And I believe that it'll come about in part as we together strive to see Jesus rightly. As we together strive to look on him in the right way, to set our gaze on him, and then invite others to see him too. They also might believe and have life in him. Jesus can be rejected. Jesus can be received. But Jesus can't be ignored. So together, let's make much of him in every aspect of our lives together. Amen. We're going to come to the communion table now. And it's an opportunity for us to reflect and give thanks that you're even able to come to the table. That you're even able to come and partake of this meal where we eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us. And we drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. Someone shared the good news of Jesus with you, who he is and what he had done to rescue you from your sin. They shared it with you and you, by God's grace, are able to eat this meal because God gifted you with faith to have ears to hear and eyes to see, to come alive in Christ and become a child of God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus who's been made new in Christ, I want you to come forward to partake of this meal and come rejoicing. I want you to come forward this morning in repentance and faith, once again turning away from your sin and turning to your Savior. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, again, I'm so grateful that God brought you to be here this morning, but instead of coming forward to take communion, I want you to think about what's been said about Christ today and to genuinely evaluate where you're at and your response And my prayer, my hope for you is that you would place your faith in Jesus today, even as you sit in your seat as people are taking communion around you. And the next week you could come forward and partake of it as a new brother, a new sister in Christ. For those of you that will come forward, come to the tables at the front or the back, tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and what Christ our Redeemer has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Almighty God, we... We come before you and we give you thanks that you sent your son to be our rescuer. A rescuer and redeemer that cannot be ignored. One who at one point in time we rejected. That we thought we were good on our own. That we didn't need your grace. That we didn't even need rescuing. But God, in your grace you showed us the depths of our rebellion and our need for redemption. So God, we praise you for that this morning, that you have called us to become children of God. And I pray, God, that you would help us to to continue to reflect on that, to continue to give thanks, that it would humble us and lead us to worship, but then lead us to be witnesses, just like John, that we tell the world about your grace in Christ. And God, we thank you that you are the one that opens up our ears and eyes. And God, I pray that that would give us boldness to go and share the good news of Christ with our neighbors and the nations that we would trust that you're the one that affects change, that you're the one that resurrects dead men and women to life, and that you've called us to simply be messengers. And so, God, I pray that you'd give us boldness in that, and it would be the overflow of our own understanding of how you rescued us. God, we rejoice today. We rejoice today that Christ has come, and Christ will come again. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.